0: This episode is sponsored by Patagonia. In 1972, Chenard Equipment bet the farm, urging climbers to stop using their best-selling product in order to protect the rock. Clean climbing, making the switch from pitons to chocks, fundamentally changed both the art of the sport and the ethos of the community. It was climbing's first environmental movement and instilled the values that drive Patagonia to this day. But more importantly, it was a challenge. What are climbers capable of achieving in order to protect the places we love? Fifty years later, Patagonia is asking that question again. They're still committed to the vertical wilderness and putting style over Summit. It's a commitment to the sport we love, their technical climb product, and the planet we're still working to save. Go to patagonia.com cleanclimbing to learn more. This episode is also sponsored by Sterling. A wet rope is heavy, hard to handle, and can be flat-out dangerous. That's why Sterling developed their new line of dry climbing ropes using Zeros technology. Zeros is a whole new way to manufacture UIAA-certified dry ropes that are more effective, wear-resistant, better for the environment, and only available from Sterling. Visit sterlingrope.com to learn more and use the code DIRTBACK for 15% off. And you can also find these links in our show notes. Welcome to the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from The Climbing Zine. I am Luke Mihal, and this is episode five of season four, Conversation with Beth Rodden. Uh, I'm just getting back from the Yosemite facelift and had the honor of doing this interview in the El Cap Meadow, and it was so cool um, to look up at El Cap as Beth was telling the stories about all the climbs she's done there and the other places in the valley Um, Beth contributed to volume 22 of The Climbing Zine. She wrote this piece called Meltdown, and that piece is also published in um, the Valley of Giants book, uh, Stories from Women at the Heart of Yosemite Climbing, edited by Lauren Delaney Miller, and Lauren was actually the next interview after Beth, so that one will be coming out as well. But yeah, I've been trying to get Beth to publish something in the zine for years. I love her writing. I love her honest voice. Uh, I think she is the goat of uh, my generation. Um, as we know, there can be several goats, but she, uh, she in my mind, has um, just one of the most impressive climbing resumes um, leading up to Meltdown, which is, a, I think, a 14C trad line um, located in Cascade Creek near Cascade Creek or Cascade Falls in Yosemite. Um, Looks like an incredible line and she wrote about it really eloquently in volume 22. Hope you all enjoy this conversation. It was a pleasure to have it. It was really an honor to sit down with Beth and she's really a kind, open, and honest person. Check the link in your show notes if you want to pick up A copy of the zine and I'll leave a link for that book as well if you want to pick that up this episode of the dirtbag state of mind podcast is sponsored by kilter looking for a fun way to train at home or at the gym check out the kilter board the kilter board has innovative light-up holds a progressive app with animated functions climbs for all abilities and two layouts to choose from with large international online communities for each there are over 66,000 problems in the original Kilterboard layout, and the newer home board layout comes with over 6,300 problems. You can set, tick climbs, make shareable playlists, watch send videos for motivation and beta, and even add your own videos to share with other users. The new map feature helps you find and connect to kilter boards nearest you. Kilter has multiple wall sizes and package options available. So we can help you get a kilter board in almost any space. Check out kilter at settercloset.com and look for more information in our show notes. This episode is also sponsored by Scarpa. Scarpa's approach to climbing shoe design mirrors their approach to the pursuit of climbing itself. They strive to evolve and incorporate new ideas and techniques every step of the way. They refine their strengths, train their weaknesses, and build on each success. Scarpa has been bolstering its climbing shoe foundations by continuing to create versatile, high-quality designs that satisfy the needs of climbers across a range of disciplines and skill levels. For more information, visit scarpa.com and look for a link in our show notes. All right, hope you all enjoy this conversation. I am... Sitting here in the El Cap Meadow with Beth Rodden, probably the coolest site for an interview I've I've ever had in my entire life. So thanks for for agreeing to do this and sitting here with me.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: You know, I was probably trying to get you to write for the zine for maybe seven or eight years, I think ever since you presented at the women's um, outside conference in Durango. And... um, I feel like it's a, a good tactic to just, like, I was always check in every year or something. And <laughs> we'd kind of gone back and forth with ideas. And I kind of got handed your, your essay from the, uh, the Valley of Giants book that um, Lauren uh, Delaney Miller published. And it was a series of essays of the history of women in Yosemite. Your essay was my favorite in the book. And um, it's called Meltdown. And it's published, also published in Volume 22 of The Climbing Zine. And so thank you for, for letting us publish that. Oh, <laughs>
1: well, thank you. No, it's an honor.
0: But I, I found that so fascinating on, on so many levels. When when did you do that climb?
1: I did that climb uh, in 2008, Two thousand eight. T- 2008, yeah.
0: Yeah, so do you want to just describe the climb a little bit?
1: Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, it's just this single-pitch climb in um, Upper Cascade Creek. So it's kind of like out the 120 here in Yosemite. It's not super long. It's like 70 feet-ish slightly overhanging. It's right next to this waterfall. And so the rock at the bottom is really polished. Um, and it's just this like thin discontinuous crack that kind of like splits the wall.
0: What was it like to, to write about that climb so long after doing it?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think for that essay, I was pretty deep in, um, writing for my book. And so I think I was kind of, like, in the mode about writing about past things. And so it came probably a little easier than if I would have just done it, you know, out of the blue at one point. Um, but I think about that essay was nice, was it was a much more condensed space to kind of, like, put all my thoughts and, like, wrap them up, you know, a little bit quicker and tidier than a book. And so, um, yeah, I feel like, you know, it's it was probably what? 12 years, 14 years later, when I wrote that essay. And so you have a lot of time to like reflect and I don't know, kind of let your mind wander a little bit and see where everything eventually led to like what doing this little climb meant for you and what it didn't mean for you or what it was the catalyst for. So I, did, I thought it was, you know, pretty interesting to do.
0: Uh, did you feel like you surprise yourself when you write about things? I, I noticed that sometimes where. I'll just start writing something like oh, this wasn't what I expected to come out like within the structure. It's there. Right. But like And that's what I, I don't know. I, that's what I love about writing is like that self-discovery. Is that something that you experience with your writing?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I feel like sometimes I sit down and, you know, like two hours later, I'm like, oh, wow, I started here and I ended up there. And then other times I sit down and like two hours later, I'm just like, you know, I have four words written down. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like i um, I'm definitely not a very seasoned or pro writer, but uh, sometimes I feel like the thoughts are cohesive and coherent, so that works. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, w- I wouldn't say it's like something that, you know, I'm naturally very good at.
0: Well, I feel like you know I've been been writing for a long time, and um, I actually wrote about a long time project of mine in this zine, and it was it was super cool to see like the parallels of of your you're writing about your project, but I feel like projecting and writing are very similar because there's almost this base layer of um, failure mm-hmm. within it. And it's mm-hmm. almost like, how do you deal with the failure of writing? Because, yeah, I feel like some writings I'll write, or some mornings I'll write for four hours and be like, I didn't get anything out of this. And, yeah. and climbing can feel the same way. Yeah. Um, and was was Meltdown kind of like, did the name come from your emotional journey on the climb?
1: Oh, totally, yeah. yeah. And I feel like, you know, it was supposed to be probably like a double meaning in that um, when I did it, it was um, February, and so the waterfalls started to get bigger because, you know, like the snow started to melt in the high country, so the, you know, the meltdown and it, the spray was getting bigger. But then also because of all my, like, emotional meltdowns on the route, for sure. Yeah, I'm not shy about saying that. Like, I was very... I don't know. Back then, like climbing. I feel like my self-worth and my life and everything was just like so intertwined with climbing and accomplishment that it meant probably an unhealthy amount to me, if that makes sense. And so, um, yeah, anytime that like I thought I should make progress and I didn't or I felt like nature wasn't on my side and it was like snowing or something like that, you know, it was like I had a meltdown about it. Whereas now I feel like you kind of have a more uh, macro view of life. And you're like, well, it is just a rock climb and there will be tomorrow, so. <laughs> well,
0: I feel like probably being a professional climber adds to the pressure because, like, I, I feel all those emotions with my projects, but my projects are, like, things other professional climbers warm up on, right, you right. know? <laughs> so I've I got to imagine, like, being at the time, being a, a professional climber added, did that add to the pressure? And, oh,
1: totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like that's just kind of how, like, I lived my life then and was just like, do a project, think of something harder, try and do that, think of something harder. And, you know, at some point there's a ceiling to that. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just like continually keep pushing. So,
0: and that's why I, I really have been reaching out to you. Hopefully I've been, I haven't hounded you no, too much. I all. feel like no, maybe no, once once or twice a year, <laughs> yeah. um, persistence is a good skill to have <laughs> yeah, yeah, <totally. laughs> as an editor, but I feel like you're a leader. I know so many uh, women, especially that really look up to you. I mean, just yesterday I was talking to my friend Nadine and she's like, yeah, sent Beth a message and she sent me one back. Oh. And, <laughs> and, and I try to do this with, with my writing as well. I try to be like very honest about the highs and the lows. Mm-hmm. And I feel like people connect with that writing more than anything, you know, people that are very transparent. And, and you've been that way. And, and I don't know how aware you are of how much you mean to so many people. And I know it's probably embarrassing to hear, <laughs> but like, I know you mean a lot to... um A lot of people that's part of the reason I I wanted to get you to publish in the zine and and now I that I want to like have a conversation with you when did that journey begin of of just like was it a conscious thing that you realized you could do things for other people through your own writing or was it more natural than that or
1: that's a really good question I don't think it was probably like that black and white, you know, like one day I woke up and I was like, today I'm going to do this and it'll affect these many, you know, these people and in this way. I think it was more just an evolution of kind of my own journey, if that makes sense. Especially like after meltdown and after my divorce and everything, I feel like I had to kind of shift how I went through life because I, I went through this period of probably like five years of injuries or something like that if that makes sense and um and so I wasn't able to kind of keep the same cadence that I did and like once you or once I removed that thing which was climbing for me that I was always able to really count on and for me too like my entire social circle was professional climbers my career was being a professional climber like just everything was that and once I had to like kind of pull back from that I feel like it kind of led to for me at least, a really inward journey. And so I feel like along that inward journey, sometimes I'm compelled to share and sometimes I'm not. Like I don't put like obviously everything out there, um, which is weird, like I do consider myself a pretty private person, but I also feel like I'm inspired by other people that kind of have very vulnerable journeys. And I feel like that then sparks reflection in me, right? And so then it's not like necessarily a conscious thing that I want to spark something in someone. It's more like, Oh, this was pretty transformative for me. And so then I'll be inspired to write about it or I'll be inspired to like, tell that story a little bit. Um, but there's like obviously times when other things are transformative to me, but I keep them a little bit more close to home and I don't, I don't, there's not like a recipe I use for what I share and what I don't. It's just kind of like what, what feels natural, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. It does. And we were just talking about climbing books. (laughs) It's like, we are both like, yeah, at the end of the day, we're not reading climbing books. Um, but, uh, that was something I wrote. Like I had kind of some mental health major issues when I was like 20 and just basically I I would describe it now as like a a mental health episode, but Mm -hmm. I had no idea my mental health was deteriorating. And like, I didn't write about it for like 10, 12 years. And then when I wrote about it, like I just got a message um, yesterday from a climber who's like, I just got out of a mental health uh got just got out of the hospital after mm-hmm. like having and i i never i would never like i was never to the level where i was in a hospital he's like mm-hmm. and then i read your book and like that that meant something to it's me amazing. so i'm just processing now of what you're saying it's like it, it, it almost is like it's a, a byproduct of doing that and then you like you see that it helps other people so mm-hmm. now I, I i try to like be more intentional about that. And obviously I'm a a writer by trade, but uh, yeah, I I think that's, I'm just kind of processing out loud right now, but what does it mean to you when, when you get messages of people? Like I I would, definitely consider you a role model and a hero in our community. What type of meaning do you give to that of how you can affect other people's lives or how you can enrich other people's lives who are going through hard times?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's obviously super touching when people take the time to to reach out and um, share like a personal journey or or um, anecdote or something like that with me, I feel honored that they would you know open themselves up to me, who's like a relative stranger probably to them. So um, yeah, I feel I feel really really touched by it, and it's it's really a kind thing that that people do in that you know they share their journey with me, and you know it impacts it and. A lot of times I'll try and then like share that with permission or whatever with with everybody else to see that, to show that, you know, you're not like alone going through this or whatnot. Because I feel like, I don't know, maybe a lot of people get this, but for me, for sure, like I always get such tunnel vision when I'm like in a hard time, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, this is like my issue and I'm the only one that feels this way or or whatnot. Um, But then, you know, when you do get to a little bit brighter spot and you can't share like most of the time somebody else will say, oh, me too type of thing. So yeah, yeah, it's always nice to hear from people.
0: I didn't even know what the word mental health (laughs) meant 20 years ago. And now you're like, well, everyone, especially in these last two years, when we've been isolated and Mm -hmm. had new routines. It's like, I feel like generally no one's mental health is like 100% good all the time. And (laughs) I felt that same way too, when I was going through this mental health struggle and like at the point where I was like, kind of like a su- suicidal feeling I was like I'm literally the only person that's ever experienced this totally. in my life and then you're like no actually <laughs> yeah. so many people other people have experienced it body image is a, is a big thing that you openly share about I, I've seen you with that another climber that you've maybe done some at least some photo shoots or like uh, I don't know how all that came together but um, is is body image something that like you feel like you you hear from a lot of other like female or even male or or transgender climbers or um, is that something that is quite common that you you get messages about or
1: I'd say for sure and you know know, I was actually really surprised how many male people you know climbers reached out to me and I don't know why I feel uh, again I feel like when you're in your own little world of your head or whatever you kind of you know isolate the issue to you or or whatnot and so I, I always kind of just assumed that it was mainly women that felt that way. But then the more you talk about it, obviously the broader it gets. So yeah, I think again, that was just something or that was something that after being pregnant and having our son, you know, I was always just like under the assumption and kind of assumed for myself that I'm a professional athlete. So I'm just going to like bounce back and like all these people that can't get their, you know, pre baby bodies back are just lazy or whatnot. And then, you know, X amount of years later, I'm just like, Oh wait, actually for me, at least that wasn't my journey and the body just changed. And, and I just remember like feeling that weight of expectation on myself from myself. And also I feel like from, you know, society in in general and, and, um, just kind of like working through that and being like, Oh wait, no, you can like be happy and happier. If you're just like, if you have a, if you work on having a better relationship with your body, which I've always kind of like, ever since i you know, got into competition climbing, um, kind of always had this like acrimonious relationship with my body. Um, and so again, like I felt inspired to like share that journey, right. Um, publicly. And I feel like it's been good. I, you know, I, I never think like one person is such a cause for anything, but I feel like along with other people, You know, not necessarily in the climbing community, but in general, just talking about body image and and that sort of thing. It's become over the past three or four years has become a much more, um, you know, less taboo subject and less um, and something that we put less weight on and um, importance on, which I feel like is super important, especially just the sheer volume of kids that are getting into the sport. And if we can kind of like shift that dialogue away from um, such a harmful you know and hostile environment like that I I feel that my generation grew up in and definitely the previous generation grew up in in our community is going to be m- a much more welcoming place for, for kids to start climbing
0: sometimes I, I have that back and forth in my head of like am I just the old crusty climber right. where I'm like does everyone need to be focusing on competition and this and that yeah. and then seeing you know like how it could be harmful, like especially when you hear like some cl- kids just climb in the gym now. <laughs> like yeah. that always bums me out. Like <laughs> or like pro- especially with professionals. And I heard some interview there, like some Olympic route setter or something. I think it was on the Climbing Gold podcast. He was like, "We should just give like two or three weeks where these these kids have a vacation and they go climbing." And like, oh yeah, like we're at that point now with the sport where that maybe has to be an intention. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah.
1: I feel like climbing. You know, is like it's getting so specific that if you want to be good at one thing you have to stay with that one thing like I remember when I was a kid climbing I'm like well if you're good at bouldering you're pretty good at sport climbing which means you're probably pretty good at like comp climbing and you could be kind of the jack of all trades but now it's like you have to be so specialized you know it's like so I, I mean I get why kids and people only climb inside because they probably feel that if they go outside for those two weeks, that their competitors are then like going to get an edge or whatever.
0: So yeah, and I feel like there's a beauty of, um, and you you captured this well in your essay is like there's a, a beauty of of not caring. There's a beauty of not, I think, being good. Like, <laughs> I I've I've always been a mediocre climber, and like, but I'm I'm actually still getting better at at 43. So, but I'm like, you know, I'm kind of glad that I never was good. But then as you get older, you can kind of like work on technique and then, yeah. and this and that. <laughs> Well, we are sitting here in the El Cap Meadow and in uh, I just bought the new guidebook last night. I was oh, like nice. looking <laughs> through the guidebook and I was getting so excited. And, and I haven't been here in in 10 years and like for the first 10 years of my climbing I was obsessed with Yosemite and just trying to get up El Cap and like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, for, I was the type of climber where just to get to the top of El Cap was a life goal and the best experience of my life and I, I, I kind of like looking at the nose. I kind of want to do the nose, but yeah, like no. just doing the salaté was <laughs> was just like a lifetime accomplishment with my, my buddy Dave Ahrens. We did it like almost 10 years ago to the day now. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and that was the last time I was here for the facelift. So it's like so nostalgic. I really think of you as like the goat of, of my generation. I'm guessing we're, we're pretty similar in age. Yeah, I'm
1: 42. So. Yeah, I'm yep, 43. Right, right you. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: totally. <laughs> but uh, I read in the book that you were inspired by Lynn Hill um, mm-hmm. a lot. you can just kind of talk about Lynn and, and what she meant to you and, and may, maybe still continues to mean to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's hard not to be a rock climber and not inspired by Lynn and her athletic achievements because <laughs> um, what she did would be noteworthy now. Um, and she did it, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So yeah, it's incredible. Um, but yeah, I feel like on a personal level, um, Lynn kind of took me under her wing when I was like, quote unquote, like on my year off of college, she, I was up at Smith rock in Oregon trying this route called Tibalt or not to be. And she was there the day that I did it. And she like invited me this like skinny little sport climber that hadn't climbed higher than Tibalt or not to be. So like 150 feet.
0: <laughs> Is that the first 514 in the United States or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. No, cool. It's, it's yeah.
1: Amazing route. Yeah. yeah. Highly recommend. Um, But yeah, she invited me like that night to go to Madagascar with her on this like all female expedition to establish like new routes on a big wall. And, um, you know, I was like, it's like when Michael Jordan asks you to, like, you know, (laughs) go play basketball with him. You're not going to say no, even though you know that you have, like, no business doing that. So
0: Uh, I love that. Sorry. uh, I got to interject here, too. That picture of you on Meltdown um, with your tongue out, I actually chose that because I love Michael Jordan. I'm, like, obsessed with Michael Jordan. He's, like, my childhood hero. Yeah, yeah. if you're listening to this get a copy of volume 22 and see this <laughs> awesome photo of Beth. <laughs> yeah. yeah anyways
1: <laughs> a month or two later i was like in madagascar with her and nancy fagan and kath pike and and so just like giving somebody that opportunity to because i feel like i always wanted to climb full-time you know but back then especially there wasn't like a pretty clear path unless you were over in europe competing mm-hmm. you know or unless you were like climbing big snowy mountains mm-hmm. I didn't really want to do either of those things and so just to take me under her wing and kind of like show me this potential life if I wanted to pursue it and you know that sort of thing was was huge that was like that was the catalyst that then I was like okay I'm going to try and climb full-time and I think I was making like $400 a month or something like that you know I wasn't making very much money I lived out of like the back of my two-door Honda Civic but
0: Back when, like, professional climbers still had to be dirtbags. Oh, yeah, no. Like, Like, (laughs) it's so hard to grasp now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like you ate a cold can of soup every night for dinner. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was just, like, way different. So, yeah, I mean, personally, she just, like, she was the one that kind of, like, allowed me to make that big shift. um, Because she kind of gave me the confidence to at least try. You know, I didn't, there's, like, obviously no guarantee. And it's not like because of that all of a sudden I was getting paid a ton of money you know just like maybe the next year I got $600 a month you know it's just like a very gradual thing and then on a macro level it's just like not it's I feel like kind of impossible not to be inspired by what she did you know athletically to push the sport forward I mean aside from just even freeing the nose and then freeing it in a day like you know with becoming the first woman to climb 514 and just if you see her climb it's just it's just on a different level even now, right? Like however many years later.
0: So yeah, she just did. Um, I saw on Instagram, she just did like a birthday challenge to, or not a birthday challenge, but a 30 pitch challenge to, oh, cool. um, celebrate the first ascent of, of the nose. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So she did like 30 pitches and, and she's what maybe, um, is she close to 60 now.
1: Yeah. Maybe mid to late fifties or some sixties. Yeah. yeah. I don't know.
0: What was it like to, to go to another country and then I'm, I'm, I'm imagining she intentionally made a team of all-female climbers to do this. I remember seeing the pictures in the magazines um, yeah. about this. You're, like, conjuring up these um, – did you guys make a film, too? Or? Yeah, it was uh.
1: it was part of this um, NBC series where they did, mm-hmm. like, a film on four different climbing trips or whatever. Um, and so this was, like – I don't know, back then, you know, it was, like, this was the token female one. You know, uh-huh, it's, like, uh-huh. they had to, like, check that box or whatever. So, um, anyways, yeah, it was it was – pretty mind-blowing then and now to think of it it was pretty pretty rad and you know I was really honored and humbled that they allowed me to come along because it was not like I was um in addition to the team <laughs> like <laughs> physically or with any sort of form of knowledge it was like I was very much being tutored by these women so uh-huh. um yeah I I think that I feel always indebted to them
0: yeah and Lynn just I I've had you know seen her around for for 20 years and she's just always been like I would say she's like the most friendly mm-hmm. professional climber you could ever meet what was she teaching you were you like were you bolting ground up and like hauling and stuff like that
1: oh, that's a good question mm-hmm. um I mean in between when I wasn't crying because I was
0: so <laughs> scared yeah <laughs> You're, how old were you
1: uh I think I was 18 or 19 oh
0: my god yeah. wow and
1: like I'd never been to a third world country I feel like I hadn't really traveled that much without my parents. So, yeah, I was just, like, shell-shocked. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they were, like, te- teaching me, like, how to be more than 100 feet all, off the ground.
0: They're all grown, grown women, too, right? Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah they have, like, <laughs> climbed all over the world and stuff. So they're, like, super veteran. Yeah, just all the, like, little details of, like, how you actually climb a wall to, you know, like, how you survive without your mom and dad <laughs> to, you know, like, that type of thing. Wow. So
0: A lot. Yeah. Was, <laughs> I'm guessing was, that's a, a chapter in your book, huh? <laughs> yeah I yeah. think yeah and so what got you thinking of of el capitan like how did how did it was the the inspiration straight from Madagascar to climbing big walls in Yosemite or was there more of a learning curve in there uh, uh, like how did that evolution look like?
1: I started climbing the year that Lynn free the nose in a day so like every gym I went to every competition I went to there was always like the post that iconic poster of her like on the last pitch and it was yep. like it goes boys you know yep. with like her jean shorts and like her hair blowing in the wind
0: that was in my climbing gym yeah upper limits in, yeah. in 1999
1: yeah yeah no it was everywhere and mm-hmm. so you know like I don't know if every person or kid is like this when they start something but I remember like starting something and being like well clearly she's the best And so I want to be just like her. So one day I want to do that. So like even, I didn't even know what the nose was, but I was like, one day I want to do that. Um, So it was like always in the back of my head. And then I feel like after Madagascar, I had maybe a little bit more confidence of understanding what that might entail. But that that didn't mean like, I. so then right after Madagascar, I came to the Valley, like in my two-door Honda Civic, and I like showed up. And back then there the there was this parking lot kind of like it's where the tour buses park now and every it was like the climbers parking lot and they called it the center of the universe and so I just like was one of those festering climbers there, like going to the cafeteria every morning like trying to find a partner and you know I was like you know I'm small and I don't don't drink that much water and like you know trying to get people to do it so I just started from the ground level you know like trying to do royal arches and kevin thaw dragged me up that and then he like dragged me up a couple other things and then you know i feel like i did that for like a few seasons and then um yeah i can't remember if it's like my third season here or something but that's when you know tommy and i had known each other through the competition circuit because we were like part of that first generation of kid climbers and then i feel like one year we were both here his partner bailed on him for the mirror wall i didn't really have a partner so then that's when we tried lurking fear um and then, you know, we started dating and then I feel like Yosemite was just like always in our, you know, rhythm of, of the year, mm-hmm. twice a year.
0: What are some of your uh, favorite memories? I, uh, I read in the book, and, and Tommy actually said this when I interviewed him, too, of when you're on the nose, you just met all these interesting climbers. <laughs> um, could you talk about that and then some of your other just favorite memories from the era and, and what, yeah. you, what you loved about that era?
1: yeah, I feel like that was really cool about the nose, actually was um, I feel like we we punted on it and we put it off for season after season because we were we were like, "Oh, it's the nose, it's going to be super crowded, and it's going to be like a pain in the butt to free climb, and you know you can't like really work pitches because there's too many people. But then one year we were kind of just like, well, it's not going to get less crowded, so like we should just go up there and we just tried to like embrace it rather than you know fight against it. Um, And it was, like, one of the most interesting and enriching parts of the whole experience, I feel like. Um, I feel like we worked on it maybe for a month-ish. And we probably came across, like, 30 or 40 parties in that month. And, you know, people from, like, I remember these Brazilians. And they had come to the valley, like, six months earlier. And they couldn't climb the Nutcracker. So they, like, worked their way up from, like, the Nutcracker to the nose. And, like, I don't know, we passed them, like... You know various amounts of time um like when we were wrapping down or climbing up and they were just super friendly and you know so excited and and um i think it just added to to my experience at least for sure to meet all those people um and then other than that i feel like i mean i haven't climbed el cap in 13 14 something like that years um and Maybe it's just my perception being here and, like, driving through the meadow and, you know, seeing all the the sprinter vans and stuff. But it just seems like it's really crowded now. And so I kind of feel like we were lucky in that, you know, a lot of times we'd be on a route and we'd be the only people up there. And it just felt like a pretty special time in that way. Or, like, or even if we weren't the only people, we knew most of the other people that were, like, trying to free climb and things like that. So that felt pretty cool that it was like this littler community back then um, not that a bigger community is bad it just felt a little more intimate so yeah I mean I feel like I have very fond memories from back then and I have very unfond memories just because I feel like I got really burnt out on it because and it was basically like a decade of my life just hanging on the side of a cliff and I was just like really over it by the time I stopped <laughs> yeah,
0: I can really on a micro level of because uh, I don't do much big wall anymore Either because yeah, you just you, you go so you, you go through so much. You're like I'm just not really like, especially the hauling stuff. And like, yeah, and I know you had a, your your other your your own em- emotional journey, but yeah, you said that you've kind of um, you stopped climbing for for a while, but it seems like you've always been present in the climbing community. What does that balance look like to you? Of I'm guessing you still love climbing in oh, yeah. in a way. What's that journey like of letting go? Of climbing, but still having it be part of your life. Right. Yeah. And I
1: feel like I'd, I'd never really like stopped climbing intentionally or it, like, I was never like, I'm done with climbing. So I'm going to just stop for a year or two. I feel like I was always, I probably had a, not a healthy relationship with it for a while, especially when my, when I went through a bunch of injuries, it was less something that I really wanted to do and crave to do and more something that I felt like desperate to do, like I needed to do in, in some sort of way. Ironically though, like through that period of injury, when I couldn't climb, like, you know, it's the, like I had a finger injury plus a shoulder injury plus broke my makele. It's like, you know, it just like was this cascading thing. It really forced me into this place where I was like, well, I clearly can't climb right now. Do I even want to continue climbing? And if I can continue climbing, I can only climb at like a rudimentary level. You know, I can climb like five, five or five, six. And so I had this like quite a long stretch of time where I could only climb at that very elementary level. And it was actually the time where I realized how much I actually enjoyed climbing for climbing, you know, and how much like it was just like this part of me and that was woven into me and that how much it had given to me over the years. and how much I just, I loved it, you know. It felt like like yoga for some people, you know. It just felt like right in my body. Um, so that period where I wasn't climbing hard and where I was actually really embarrassed ab- um, by my climbing level was the time where I feel like it just kind of reminded me why I started in the beginning, you know. And it, it like kind of reaffirmed my love for it. Um, and it kind of like detached and separated the achievement part of it that it was like so welded for so long so i could have a much more healthy relationship for it and it kind of felt like i got my ownership of the climbing back um which was nice so and i feel like through that whole time you know yeah definitely for like a year or two through the divorce and you know climbing's a small community and i didn't like being in the public eye and like through that time um I probably was only out when I had to be for my sponsors, you know. But other than that, I feel like I've tried to just be in the climbing community how it feels natural to me. And so, you know, for whatever, 15 years, that was like pushing the sport forward. And for the past 10 years or something, it's just by still climbing, you know, still trying to do like I've, I love just pushing myself in general. Obviously that level's like lower now. It's like not pushing the sport forward, but still climbing my best when I can. Um, and then just talking about things that openly and, and in the public that I feel like have been transformational to me, transformational to me, and then also might impact the climbing community to be more welcoming to other people
0: when I look at your tick list, I'm just like, holy fuck, (laughs) like you did so much. Yeah. Like, does that ever surprise you when you look back?
1: Yeah, occasionally. I feel like I look back and I I was like, wow, I certainly rock climbed a lot of hard things in a short amount of time. But I mean, that's, I feel like looking back on it, like that just suits where I was at when I was in my 20s or whatever. You know, it's just like how I knew to lead my life it didn't feel weird at the time. Yeah. It just felt like this is what you do. <laughs> <laughs> and if I can do it, then I might as well do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know it's a, like a tough question to like, you're obviously a humble person, so you're not <laughs> going to be like spraying too much about it. Do you have advice for, for people that are so caught up in, in pushing themselves and feel pressure? Like, do you ever have words of wisdom for like your, your younger self. That's something my, my therapist asked yeah. me sometimes. <laughs> I've been going to therapy for like last year, but she's like, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Like, do you, do you have sentiments towards that of, of the could have made things um, easier on you? Or do you just feel like it's all part of the journey and, and you wouldn't change a thing?
1: That's a good question. I, don't, I feel like it's probably somewhere in between, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm a realist and so I'm like well clearly I can't change anything <laughs> but then I also realize that there is this next generation coming up and so how can we as a collective community make it you know a better place for them a softer place for them to land and, and still have them push it and yeah it, it's funny though because with the companies that I work with you know I like I'm with younger climbers all the time and I'm like pretty darn impressed and encouraged by them because they just seem granted I'm not like best friends with them and they're not like telling me their inner secrets and everything like that but they just seem to have a pretty darn healthy relationship with it particularly with each other which I feel like probably speaks volumes to how they how they have a relationship with themselves and that they're much more, they seem much more supportive of each other whereas I know for me, my generation, it was like, yeah, you smiled and like, you like, you know, wished your competitors well, but it, it wasn't like, and it was genuine, but it, it wasn't like you were best friends with them and living with them and doing all that sort of thing. It was much more like a tenuous frenemy situation, you know, at least I felt. And, you know, clearly like there's personal stuff wrapped up for me in that, but it seems like they're just like so psyched for each other, you know? And like, there's like less backstabbing and like all that sort of thing and and so i feel like when those relationships are good then i don't know it, it can't help but be a good sign for these next you know this next generation coming up it just seems like they're a little less mean towards themselves you know
0: that's that's really heart- heartening to hear yeah. i wonder if if that's a culture that like their coaches create or um, like, where do you where do you think that change maybe happens?
1: You know, it's interesting. I've been talking a lot to my friends about it and I don't know. Um, and at first I'm like, is it just climbing? Because, you know, you see like all the boulders and you see like Jimmy Webb and like Daniel and Sean, and they'll like show each other their projects. Mm-hmm. And even if they're, f- then they don't do it first, you know, I'm like, that would have never happened in my generation. It's not like, you know, some French guy would have been like, "Hey Chris, come climb my project for me," you know. <laughs> like you just hope that Chris wouldn't find your project or whatnot. We were watching the Tour de France this year, and I don't know if you watched it, but like I, f- I'm gonna not gonna say anybody's name because I'm like really bad at pr- you know pronunciation. But there was this one stage where like the one and two guy were going down, and one one of them like kind of like skidded out on some gravel, and the other guy could have just taken off, right, and like won the stage, but he waited for him. No, well, and so i'm kind of like is it just this like generational thing where people are just a little less concerned with like being the best no matter what mm-hmm. or i don't know mm-hmm. and you know like simone biles like in the olympics mm-hmm. you know she pulled out when it wasn't right for her so maybe like the kids just have it way more figured out than we ever did <laughs>
0: i sure hope so yeah yeah do you have any good chris sharma stories i love oh. Chris Sharma, I feel like is just the if you could pick one like maybe like Lynn Hill and Chris Sharma, but like he just seems like such a humble, like awesome person and yeah. he um yeah. Do you have any do you have any good yeah, stories I mean, about we Chris grew, Sharma? We grew up uh, together. Uh-huh. I just feel like Oh you Chris grew up to like you grew up together and like you lived in the same area or like uh, well, as, young he, yeah, or? as young climbers. Yeah, oh, as
1: young climbers. I mean yeah. he lived in Northern California and I lived in Northern California. Um but you know, just like that first generation of kid climbers, like mm-hmm. there weren't that many of us. Mm-hmm. So it was like us competing with our heroes. Um, But, yeah, Chris, I feel like there's a pretty funny story where Chris, Um, I think it was probably at some World Cup we were at or the X Games. I don't remember. And, you know, this is, like, in the 90s when sport climbing was, like, center stage so everybody didn't – nobody ate very much. Everybody was, like, you know, cl- climbing in, like, tight lycra and, like, cutting weight wherever they could. And then there's, like, Chris, <laughs> who's, like, this kid, and he just, like – has no care in the world. And he's like wearing like baggy piranha shorts and all that sort of thing. And so he, he's like climbing out this roof at the X games or the world cup and like his wallet and keys fall out of his pocket. (laughs) 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 And I feel like everybody's like, but he won, you know? So, But, and it's like against all these like French people who are like, you know, emaciated and all that (laughs) sort of thing. So I don't know. He's just, yeah, he, he did his own thing and it worked for him.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he, he would have, um been like I've I don't know like there's like climbing so popular and mainstream and like there's no like Netflix movie about Chris Sharma <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean like yeah. he um I hope I hope the legend of him doesn't go away just because he's god like what an amazing climber and he just yeah. every time I've seen him speak he just seems so humble and and like a grateful human being and, and, yeah, he, and yeah. he really
1: changed climbing I, I also feel like yeah. hit him coming in probably was a big shift in that dialogue where yeah. you know climbing was so driven by pretty serious people mm-hmm. and then chris comes in and he's just like crushes it and yeah you know has such a fun attitude around it so
0: right right always just it seemed like it was a good vibe and yeah. like so you you recently returned to doing a big wall um, oh,
1: to, yeah, to hanging off the side of a big wall. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I, I read your your Instagram post. I think you're I, I there's seriously like five people, I, uh, climbers that I really want to read their Instagram posts. Yeah. I think so many <laughs> of them are so boring. Professional climbers, if you're listening, don't just post your video of the grade. It's boring. <laughs> um, but you you posted about um, climbing Mount Watkins, and mm-hmm. it was your return to big walls, and like. What maybe 14, 15 years or something. Yeah. No, Uh, the last
1: time I was hanging off the side of a big wall was uh, in 2008. So I guess that's yeah. 14 years. I
0: love it. You're inspiring me to to get (laughs) back after it. Um, what were your doubts going into it and what was the experience?
1: Yeah. I feel like I was just scared to be honest with you. Like that. I feel like you could, I could probably put it way more, you know, (laughs) eloquently, but I was like, I was, I I'm a pretty anxious person in general. I feel like anybody that you talk to that's close to me will attest to that. (laughs) I've been a joy during the pandemic to live with. (laughs) But, yeah, I was just super anxious. I was like, when I, like, rap over the edge, am I going to, like, freak out? Or, you know, am I going to know what to do? Am I just going to freeze in place? Am I, like, going to do something totally rookie that then everybody around me is going to, you know, it's just, like, all the self-doubts that, you know, um, that have ever, like, lingered in my head kind of came to the forefront and plus you know I I have I did climb you know big walls before I was with Tommy um but I feel like so you know it was like a couple times you know and then so it's just I feel like so much of my relationship with wall climbing was tied to my marriage to Tommy and you know our relationship and you even though like clearly I wasn't just sitting there and he was hauling me up, um, I feel like, you know, I was like, had all these rational thoughts that like, well, clearly Tommy knows what he's doing. And like, you know, if something really goes wrong, like we can get out of here or, you know, all that sort of thing. And so I was like, am I gonna know what to do up there? Am I gonna, you know, do all that sort of thing? And granted it was like, a very easy introduction because you know I was with like Ben and Katie who are you know masters and it wasn't like we were doing something crazy but yeah so it was like I had all these doubts and I was like super anxious and but luckily you know those guys were around and it wasn't some like crazy expedition or whatever so yeah was it fun yeah I actually had it like a, it was a very enjoyable time it, it was a bummer because I was like sick at the beginning but I think a good cure for a cold is like adrenaline I've realized (laughs) because I just like immediately felt better after after doing like the first evening so yeah I don't know it was was, um it's funny because I'm like well maybe I should go climb a wall or something like that but then right now just like lifestyle wise I'm like ah it's just way easier to not be away for like four days and I don't know also like the wall there's just like toiling that happens and it's just like there's a lot of work that happens so sometimes going cragging and bouldering is just easier
0: totally yeah. do you think being a mom changed your like assessment of risk or your desire to um big walls or more dangerous forms of climbing
1: yeah i feel like i've never been drawn to dangerous forms of climbing which is maybe laughable for people who are like well then you should never wall climb but i feel like i'm like a pretty square person and that like i'm I don't like to push things like, you know, I'm always clipped in at least like two or three times. You know, it's just like I'm very like, ah, oh, like I'm a very like like I said anxious person and I think that leads to trying to be like, you know, hyper careful. Um
0: I'm very similar to that yeah, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I'm just not one of those people and you know not not against people that that can push it or whatever. Um But I don't know that's a good question cuz people have always asked me that and I feel like I wasn't like wall climbing or I wasn't like doing like big days out until like right before I got pregnant, if that makes sense. I had like, it had been six years. So I felt like that chapter had already kind of been closed for a little while. Um, And then it's like, well, would I start to do things now? And I don't think I would like not go climb the nose because I'm a mom, because I also don't think how I used to climb was super dangerous or like on death's doorstep. Um, I did always like think I was gonna die every time I was up there, but it was like the irrational anxiety that was coming out, you know. <laughs> Sometimes it does.
0: I i felt it's just oh. you're so on the edge, like just being an, you're so exposed. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, no,
1: no. I mean, and I'm like, I just have this rope, and how much is this rope held? And is it only a bus? And could I wave as much? You know, it's just like my mind spins, but um. I don't know. Like, I think it's more right now, it's more of a question of time. You know, it's just like, it's like a lot of effort and a lot of time. And it's like, I've got other things going on. And like, our son's only young for, you know, a short amount of time and do it, you know, so and obviously, like, I'm drawing the line for myself and other people are away more and whatever. And I feel like this is just what works for me right now. Yeah, I mean, maybe it would change like if Katie was like hey let's go climb the nose in the spring like that actually it sounds kind of fun to me and maybe it would be fu- fun to like go up and be on the wall with her and you know like our kid would understand and so I feel like it's funny because people ask me that a lot about being a mom and the risk thing and um yeah I don't know I don't I actually I don't know if it plays a factor it's not like a conscious factor it's not like I won't climb walls because I'm a mom mm-hmm. it's more like I wasn't doing it beforehand because of like all this stuff. I really like how I'll I climb and spend my days now. And so maybe if something, if like a cool opportunity came up, I would jump on it.
0: You live here, right? Yeah. To your kid. Mm-hmm. It's like, is it just normal for him to like, no, no those are the climbers in Oak cat. This is what yeah. mom and dad do. Like, yeah, it's funny. Um, cause
1: like every day that I'm here, I'm just like, this is an amazing place to grow up. And I'm like, am I projecting, <laughs> you know, cause this is, seems amazing. Um, But, yeah, the kids here that grow up here, you know, like him and his friends, it's, like, normal for them, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're, like, used to climbers (laughs) and being up there. And, you know, I think it's weird. Like, I watched the Super Bowl with him, like, two years ago, and he had, like, no idea what football was. He was, like, what's happening? (laughs) And who, like, how do they, what's the point of, you know, like, so I feel like it is kind of funny. But I feel like that's probably kids in mountain towns, right? Mm -hmm. Like, kids in Jackson are probably, like, little rager skiers, and they, like, see these people hucking themselves off cliffs when that's just, like, totally foreign to mm-hmm. me or someone from Ohio. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's yeah. probably just, like, where you grow up.
0: Yeah. No, in, in Durango, like, where I live, there's, like, two year They start the biking programs at, like, two. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, you said in your essay, too, you're like, now my 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 friends are the the rangers that, like, totally. I, we used to avoid, and I had those experiences. I'm, like, blown away now where, like, I'm just always on edge here like from past experiences but then like you meet a ranger and like the ranger that greeted me when I was in the entrance like welcome home brother (laughs) he's like I was like wow the vibe is really shifted like what that's got to be a trip to be like your your Mm -hmm. friends are the same like uh, at least have the same job of the people we used to hide from in Yosemite back in the day. <laughs> like
1: Totally. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I still catch myself saying, like, when I see a ranger car, I'm like, ranger danger. Yeah. But then, like, oh, I was like, I can't say that for my kids. And yeah. he's going to say ranger danger. And then he's, like, at a play <laughs> date or whatever. <laughs> but, no, they're, like, super friendly. Yes, I do feel like the culture has shifted. But, you know, like, how much of it was, like, in our heads versus in their heads. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I feel like I got harassed by rangers back then for doing nothing basically Mm -hmm. you know like hanging out in the wrong parking lot or whatever but then also i do know (laughs) a lot of climbers like really pushed it you know for sure like really pushed it and so you're like well and and, you know whatever so like i guess i can kind of just see like both sides a little bit more Mm -hmm. now um and now they're just i don't know like the our friends are just you know, climbers who wanted to try and like live the lifestyle that we do. And like the park service was their path to do that instead of like being a climber or being, you know, a rider. And so, yeah, yeah. That's just how they, they made it work.
0: Do you feel like climbers have stepped up our behavior here?
1: That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's probably like a really layered like question, you know, I feel like there's one, there's like a lot more money in climbing now. And so it's like, I would say a huge percentage of the people on the road have a lot of money and so they have these vans that they can like drive outside the park every day Mm -hmm. so they can be legal Mm -hmm. um which is what i used to do a ton right but then i remember also there were like so many full-time climbers when i started here that couldn't afford to own a car and Mm -hmm. so it's like they did have to bivy in the
0: boulders Mm -hmm. right so they did have to eat the scraps in the cafeteria yeah yeah. they did have to do
1: that so i don't know i feel like yes like i feel like climbers might have stepped it up a little bit but is that because they felt compelled to or is just because like circumstances made it so they could mm-hmm. be more legal or I don't know that's yeah that's a very question. honest
0: uh, <laughs> honest like thoughtful answer because in my mind I'm it's it feels different yeah like especially with the the facelift and the Yosemite Climbing Association like the facelift especially mm-hmm. to me seems like oh we're, we're making such a good effort and yeah we're maybe treated differently but at the same time there was the um, big wall forum um, yesterday and they showed how many fixed ropes are left at the top of El Cap and it was like a bummer yeah it's a bummer <laughs> and then and steve uh uh Shne- Shepoopi, mm-hmm. <laughs> he he had this impassioned speech of how how sad he was about that and so maybe it's like we, we don't need to pat ourselves on the back too yeah. much yeah
1: yeah i feel uh, like maybe it's like it's shifted a little bit to less people bivvying in the boulders and
0: uh-huh.
1: you know sleeping in the meadow to more people like you know sending their prods and not wanting to carry down their ropes or whatever yeah they leave yeah so
0: else. Another note to professional climbers: carry your fucking rope down. <laughs> um, oh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was um, another thing you did that you said you hadn't done in a long time. You did a, a competition. Oh yeah. Um, can you tell me about that and like what that experience was like?
1: Yeah, it was super fun. It was um, the Touchstone Climbing Gyms run this um, festival every year. Well, they, they haven't run it the past couple of years because of COVID, obviously. Um, but it's called Woman Up and. Their first one I feel like might have been in 2018.
0: Woman up, great name.
1: Yeah, woman up. Yep, <laughs> and um, and I forget what I was doing there. If I was either giving a talk or something, right? But I wasn't doing the competition. But I remember like walking into the gym, and it was like the last hour of the competition. I was like getting set up for whatever I was doing, and um, just like the energy in the gym was so, like, it just seemed so fun and like supportive and like that I immediately had this urge to be like, oh, I should be competing and climbing in this. This seems so fun. You know, it was just like this very um, uplifting, you know, thing that was happening and I wanted to be a part of it. Um, But then like the next year, anyways, like it just didn't happen like the next year that they had the event or whatever. Um, and I think also because I was just like, ah, oh, but I, like I talked myself out of it. You know, I was like, oh, you shouldn't compete because you're like, you're not going to do that well. You, you know, you don't climb in plastic and you're clearly, you know, you're like 40 years old. You're not going to like, you know, climb very well. So anyways, I talked myself out of it. But then like whatever, over the course of the past few years, like I started posting about body image and like kind of trying to be kinder to myself, like this whole transformation that I was going through. And so now I'm just like, ah, oh, who cares? Like screw it. Like that seems fun to do. So when um I knew women up was happening again I was like oh that's gonna be fun I'm gonna do it and then I invited two friends from here and their two daughters to do it with me and they had never competed um or done like a climbing festival and so it was just like this really fun experience where like the girls had a lot of fun and like I had a lot of fun with them and it was just like good energy to be around so yeah it was really fun
0: That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah, I just I love that about you. where you are just like still on the journey and still sharing? And I feel like you're a very, very important part of um, our climbing community. So thank thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. All right. That was super fun. I could talk to you for like two more hours, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, you got you got places to be. You got family to see. So, um, well, thank you so much for sitting with here with me. Thank you.
1: It was was really fun. I appreciate it.
0: All right, that was my conversation with Beth Rodden. Truly enjoyed that there in the El Cap Meadow. As I said at the top, I'm gonna leave a link in the show notes to subscribe to the zine uh, or get 15% off anything in our store. That doesn't include subscription because our subscriptions are now an annual auto renew, uh, making it super easy for y'all to subscribe, but you can find a link to subscribe in those notes. And I'll leave a link for the uh, Valley of Giants book as well. Music for this episode is by Devin Dabney. Our digital editor and producer is Chad Rich. Falls in the air here in Durango. The leaves are changing a little bit. Signing off. I'm Luke Mihal. Peace.